Hey, everybody. Welcome back to A Higher Future. I am UB Simignetti, joined by Dr. Nicole Gravani, as always. Hi, Doc. <laughs> Hi, UB. Who are we talking with today? So we are talking to another Nicole, <laughs> um, Nicole Crane, who's a good friend, uh, and now she's CEO of Tectonic Inc. out of Boulder, Colorado, uh, which is a really just great, amazing, cool, unique way to develop talent from underrepresented groups through a really cool apprenticeship model, which we'll talk about. So first of all, hi, Nicole. Hi. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Excellent. Thanks for being here. Um, so yeah, tell us a little bit about you and, and, and Tectonic. Like, first of all, how, how you got to Tectonic and, and what Tectonic's doing right now? Sure. So I spent my career pretty much growing up in the Silicon Valley tech startup <laughs> world. Um, yeah. I've worked in several of them, some that made it, some that did not. Um, and all, you know, with the bend on growing uh, companies to scale. And, you know, over time that brought me to the Boulder area about four years ago, working for a SaaS uh, software company. And one of the challenges I always had was hiring good tech talent, right? Is, you know, especially as I moved up the ranks and you take on responsibility, you know, when you're competing for good talent, that's a, that's a tough nut to crack for a lot of us. And I was in the process of looking at opportunities and came across the tectonic model and it hit me with the apprenticeship. Like why did not somebody not think about this sooner? Right, it makes perfect sense. If you can't find it, go create your own. So uh -huh. that was about a year ago I joined the company and you know, still going strong. I love it. It's so so. Let's talk about yeah that um, in, in terms of the future of work. Well, first of all, let's talk about the, the pandemic. You know what what um, what has been the impact of that on Tectonic and and your mission, like what you're trying to do. How, has that changed it in any way? Um, I would say it did allow us to make some pivots, some more challenging than others. So like most companies last year, we had to make the move to virtual pretty quickly um, when you know corporate offices were shut down. So not only did we have to do that for our own staff, but our classes at the time were in-person instructor led. So we had to pivot all of our um, classroom training to that. <laughs> Apologies for that. No, we have a guest, a cameo. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, it was, it was a challenge for us, but what it allowed us to do is start to offer opportunities to students that may not be local to the Denver Boulder area. Uh -huh. And then we also started to see a shift in client responsiveness to, do you have to be in a facility? So even though we had a slowdown, like, uh, you know, many other companies last year in hiring, if you will, a lot of companies went into a wait and see mode. Prior to the pandemic, it was, they have to be in my city. I want them to come into my office. So it really had us focused on expansion relative to geographic location. Mm -hmm. I think now companies are like, Maybe my assumption pre-pandemic wasn't as accurate as I thought. And now I can go after the best of the best talent or look at other alternative paths. So that has actually allowed us to pivot to go after other companies looking to solve their hiring needs. It is amazing how 
companies will automatically jump to the thing that limits them most in terms of hiring. Hmm. They're like, well, we'll never be able to get that. So we'll do this. And it's, it's awesome now that at least geography has stopped being one of those limitations. It is. It's, it's actually, you know, we talk about either bias or assumptions and all of those things. And there's, you know, companies that we're talking to that, you know, some are, you know, 75 plus years old and they have some very regimented beliefs about where their folks needed to be. And some of them now are the first ones were like, we don't care where they are. Like, this is what we're trying to do. And if they can get the job done, let's go for it. What are some other assumptions they're starting to get rid of? Uh, the four-year degree is the biggest one. I think when it comes to technology, a lot of companies believe you have to have the traditional CS degree and you have to come from a certain school and belong to certain community programs. And now we're starting to see a lot of companies are setting that aside, especially when boot camps started and some others that they're realizing that there's a lot of people out there that have the aptitude and they can go learn the skills and be as productive and sometimes more productive than someone that's coming out with that degree. What do you call the people that come through your program? Are they students? We call them apprentices. And that is, I mean, we kind of use that interchangeably, but the official term is an apprentice because we do run a department of labor approved or registered program. So they spend 12 weeks in a classroom, followed by uh, on-the-job learning, actually working on real-world projects. And at the completion of 2,000 hours, they graduate from that program and become what the industry would generally look at as a software development level one. Well, and I think what's what's really cool is, because I want to talk a little uh, more about you know, the, the apprenticeship model has been around for thousands of years. And so bringing this into, first of all, software development, but also... Can you talk a little bit about the layers within software development, right? Because uh, I think companies are wanting to hire dozens upon dozens of people in software development, but but not necessarily to your point. Now they know they don't need a, a four-year CS degree because there are now different levels and aspects of software development where we sure. can get people into those roles faster. So what are those different roles? So there's different roles, different languages, um, right, and different disciplines. So we focus on um, the JavaScript type stack. So there's multiples out there. We try and keep ours pretty focused. And then we have folks that, you know, they're more back-end heavy lifting versus front-end UI, UX. And then we also have people that'll go down the QA route, right? So they're the folks that are really testing what was developed and making sure there's a virtuous circle there. Um, We also have folks that come out doing product management. So these are the folks that are really looking at what are the requirements to be built. Um, You need me to fix that. No, I think it's okay. Is this one dog or multiple dogs? Yeah. There's two. (laughs) They're egging each other on. No, I love it. This is the real life, baby. <laughs> um, but product managers are the folks that work with the client and then the development team to really look at, okay, here's what we're building. Here's what we focus on today. Here's what's in the bug list that we want to tackle and really making sure they're controlling scope and output then hands-on development. There are other tracks that are out there. In fact, we're looking to add to ours as cybersecurity. 
So those folks that work on networking protocols and how to keep networks safe and um, secure, and especially in this world of data collection that we all live in, right? It's that's another big one that we're finding that people can go through, say, four to eight months of training and be relatively proficient to start a career path. Um, some of the others that are out there are what is referred to as low code or no code. Mm -hmm. so you get into things like maybe Salesforce development, ServiceNow is another one that's out there that are more what's referred to as configuration than it is the actual development of the platform. And I like to think about these as drag and drop technologies. Um, so it doesn't require as much backend knowledge. That's more my style. <laughs> but I, well, and what I love about that particular low code, no code is it, it, I think it feels like that opens up the opportunity for so many more people. You know, I think of um, blind or visually impaired people, you know, there's, there's, there's more opportunity for those underrepresented groups to get in quick into, into the coding world, right? Like it, it's a lower barrier to entry now. And I, I just, I think that's super cool. Yeah, it is. And I think to your point, it, it's a first step in mm -hmm. and people generally start to branch off as they gain experience around what they really enjoy about the various aspect, aspects of software engineering. Yeah. Okay, one of the things I wanted to know about was the this idea of a different kind of education. This, um, the idea of getting exactly the kind of training that you need and then popping into a workforce fairly quickly. Um, it, it sounds to me like you are taking apprentices that are very young. I mean, these are not people who've been, I mean, you, you do take people who've been in the workforce for a while, but you also take people who are very young. So what's the age range? So we will draw a line at 16. So somebody who may have just, you know, decided college wasn't the path, finished high school or GED. Um, and has looked at this as a, a possible path. So that is one of the places we go. And then we have people that are looking to make career changes, for instance, that may have gotten moved out of a particular role, like manufacturing as it moves into more of a technology. There's an opportunity to reskill or upskill a lot of folks as well. So we're pretty much across the spectrum in terms of age. Okay, so so young people come into your program, and then um, so I, I just want to make this clear for people to to visualize what this is like. So you come in, there's some education, but also you're put with someone because through Tectonic you have um, actual work going on for clients, and so the the students, the apprentices, are then working on real projects for real customers with a real um, employee and and so then they learn on the job and it's so it's different than a classroom style education it's a real on the job uh, learning environment it yeah. sounds like there's also it's not just the technical parts of the learning but also that they learn to work with their client and have that client facing experience they do. So if we look at the, the journey, if you will, of an apprentice, they start in a classroom setting. Um, but where I like to think the real world part comes in is what we call on the job learning, which is the part 
where they leave the classroom and spend about another 1500 hours working on those client projects. So we have clients that have come to us to build everything from an e-commerce site for online bicycles, like bike stores, uh, Mm -hmm. to satellites in orbit. And our, our apprentices will get staffed on the teams working on those projects. So they're not case studies, if you will. This is real client work where they've come to us to produce a deliverable. That apprentice on the team works under a team lead for mentorship, oversight, and guidance. And then at the completion of the project, uh, if the client chooses to, they can actually hire the apprentice full-time to be um, an employee of their company. And that's generally the model that we see for most of the apprentices. Um, We do have situations where we retain the apprentices as good, solid senior talent over time. And we have probably three or four on staff now that are now team leads guiding new apprentices coming through the program. We talk sometimes to to folks in different industries that have very long educational pathways required to get to the first job, uh, you know, five years, 10 years. And, um, and I'm wondering, technology, software development, that kind of thing seems like one of the faster ways that someone can get trained up for a new career or their first career. And, and it's only because I think of that um, scrappy mindset of technology. I mean, that that's the way the startup technology world thinks. I'm wondering, do you think about other industries and how this model may apply in, a, in other industries that have had a longer, maybe stodgier educational pathway to get to them? You know, it's interesting because um, I remember when we brought on uh, someone in our marketing team and she started to learn about the apprenticeship, she's like, oh, oh my God, why do they not have this for digital marketing? <laughs> and it was yeah. literally one of the first things she said. Um, so I do think it is applicable in a number of areas, you know, when you start to look at one, there's software to help most of us do our jobs today mm-hmm. that takes a lot of, I think, that hardcore learning out of the mix. But yes, I do think the model in itself lends well to people that have the desire to learn something new, right? Because you get formal training followed by the, the practical application of it. And that generally allows most individuals to learn faster. Well, and I, I think it, it lends itself. I've heard different futurists, you know, talking about the future of work, um, you know, that, that people will have five careers in their lifetime, not five jobs. And so I, I actually believe that one of those careers is sort of in this software development world. Like all of us, or at least younger generations kind of moving into the future of work will be, we'll, we'll take that on, right? Because the barrier to entry is pretty low now. And so that becomes sort of step one, but then they're like, okay, maybe I'm going to go into marketing or maybe I am going to go into sales. But everybody, it seems to me, will almost have that. And then this model really does shake up the general uh, education uh, system in a way because it's like we don't – you don't need that general standardized four-year degree anymore. You can kind of pick and choose. It's like pick your own adventure education system now, which is really quite amazing. I I love that. And I also think that 
the cost of education today has become far more prohibitive and is like putting handcuffs on someone after they come out, right? So yep. even though you may have enjoyed the experience, you feel like you learned a lot and then you start to go through the payback phase. I've had days when I look at it now going, was it worth it? I, <laughs> I, well, I did it, right? Because that was the thing to do when I was growing yep. up. But when I look at where we are today, yes, there are many other options that can allow people to potentially get to the same end result. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. not a parent, but if I were, I would seriously think hard about encouraging my own kid to go through mm-hmm. the non-traditional education process to get where they're trying to go. I mean, the the cost of it alone, the cost of college alone in the US is ridiculous and and yeah, I mean, I've done, I've done a lot of school. <laughs> and school, Ooh, yeah. just way too much school. And it, 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 and it only some of it was useful. Only some yeah. of it. Well, and, and they're just they're these natural systemic barriers for so many people in, in sort of that standardized education system. Like it's just not like they're it, they just don't have any chance. And so we need to have other opportunities Um, again, which is why I love what what you all are doing because it does open the door for all of those other people who, who never saw the opportunity, never had a chance to see it. So so now that you're sorry, uh, now that you're sitting in the middle of um, bringing in more diversity into technology and you're seeing that firsthand, do you have any stories around things that, get thought through differently if if there are people from different backgrounds people that look different people that have differently functioning or looking body parts yeah um there's one that didn't happen with us but it it's probably made the rounds by now is when you make wearable technology for instance right if you Mm -hmm. have a team of white men or light-skinned people trying to devise it a piece of technology to read um heart rates or whatever, that will play different on different skin tones. And that was missed and it had to be redone. So that's just, you know, that one comes to mind because it's pretty notorious. I think the other one that you hear is a lot too with how much women are decision makers in homes and making sure that there's a, a, a perspective in product development that speaks to women is another big one we hear. Um, but there definitely is understanding the communities and the people and sort of the consumer mindset, it isn't all one skin tone that does that or one culture or one what have you, right? It's like the more diversity and there's lots and lots of studies make teams more productive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's just at the end of the day, like I feel like the, the education of this is, is the biggest piece, right? I think it's it's not only the, this these new avenues and pathways of education that you're developing for people, but it's also educating corporations. Um, and luck, you know, again, luckily, I think we've, we've heard this many times, but the pandemic was, you know, it was sort of a nice <laughs> consequence of the pandemic, right. It was to sort of force these, these stodgy older or larger corporations to see that, you know what, you're, you're probably going to be more productive now. And we've seen that. Um, so it's, it's, it, but, but they had to learn that. So there's just so much 
education that we're all having to go through and shift our perspectives to make this a reality. Totally agree. I think in addition to location of their resources is also coming to terms with, I don't have to necessarily hire the way I did for the last yeah. 10 to 20 years, right? I personally believe the resume is an antiquated tool. I've thought yes, that for amen. a long time, but it's still there. I, you know, I was hopeful with the advent of some of the, the professional social channels like LinkedIn that we might shift that over time. It didn't go quite that fast. Right. Um, but we are seeing education needed with a lot of companies to be willing to take a new approach, whether it's hiring an apprentice or someone from a boot camp it will serve them well. Cause what we're also seeing is overall loyalty of people in companies that may have come out of a program like ours is much higher than you would get someone from what we've seen traditionally, where it's about what's the benefit package and what logo mm -hmm. can I put on my resume? We're finding people that are staying true to the companies that gave them a, a chance. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, so what is it? What's, what's the, oh, go ahead, Nicole. I, I, I love the question you're about to ask her. Well, I was, yeah. I mean, where, what is, what's the future for you all? Like what, you know, what's, what is the future of work going to be in five years? You know, what, what's that goal out there? Sure. So we have a vision to be the recruiting partner for the fortune 500, right? Over time. Mm -hmm. When you look at the, the overall gap, there's like a million unfilled tech jobs today, let alone five years from now. Um, and allowing us to not only level up the underserved communities and provide opportunities, we wanna come in there and be a partner with the companies that can employ that. So think about us as that middle handshake of how do you make those two things come together a little bit more seamlessly. Yeah, hmm. I love it. We got a lot of work to do, all of us, to change the world. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to do it. Well, it was awesome talking to you and catching up. Thank you, um, you know, for for your perspective. And, and yeah, we just want to help get the word out about what Tectonic's doing because it really is about shifting companies' perspectives on where they find talent moving forward. It's got, they've got to shift, right? It, it can't be the same school you know, it can't be the same small community. It's, it's got to be so much different. I so agree. thank you. Of course. This was fun. Awesome. Well, thank you all for watching, uh, continuing to, uh, you know, move us up the lists of all the great podcasts in the world, hopefully. Um, thank you. Check it out, A Higher Future Podcast. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye.